This podcast is sponsored by Picmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Picmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Picmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Picmonic, you can study less, but remember more. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. So excited to be speaking with my uh, former Howard University College of Medicine student body president, Dr. Love Anani. He is an emergency medicine physician currently practicing in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Love, thank you so much for joining no us. No problem. Uh, as everyone says, which I know is true, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. So we know each other for, for quite some time. It's been some amazing, amazing years at Howard University, some smokers, <laughs> data auctions it wasn't all crazy we had, we had um, christian music in there too so there's some choir you know it was a little bit of everything oh it got, yeah, got exactly. required you know say the best <laughs> for last oh but thank you for joining us i'm excited to learn about emergency medicine from your perspective working in private practice i know you've got a lot of gems to share oh yeah uh, it's been a crazy couple of years uh, never thought I'd work in a pandemic. Thought those were things only in textbooks, but it's very interesting to work through one myself. Uh, and EM has definitely changed in the last two or three years for sure. Awesome. Well, if you listen to the show, you know we got to start at the beginning. So, Dr. Nani, take us from, from the beginning. When did you decide to go into medicine and what was your pathway? All right. Uh, I always joke with most people that my pathway was influenced, if not put on me, by my mother. Uh, my mother is uh, a Nigerian immigrant. She was a nurse. Uh, and she always would say, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. So as any good son, I kept repeating it, not knowing actually how to do it whatsoever. Uh, so you repeat it long enough and you get like a pat on the head and like a thumbs up when you say it in elementary school and high school and everything. And then you get to college and you're like, all right, do I have to keep saying this? And it's like, fine, just put on a piece of paper um, <laughs> so you can like apply for things. Um, but then I saw the breadcrumbs and that was cool. Uh, what gave me energy to continue it up to that point, things like shows like ER. I tell people that show was influential in my, in my life. Uh, you know, black doctors were on there and uh, it was grays before grays, you know, very diverse, very nice. Right. And to me, that's what all doctors did was that TV show. I didn't know there were so many specialties. I will be completely honest. I thought all doc kind of just worked in a place over, you know, night or day and people came in to see them. And then I realized an emergency medicine after a family accident that you don't have to pay right away. Uh, I felt going to the family doc sometimes people were like accost my mother at like the front desk, like, oh, you need to pay, you need your payment or copay. You can't come back until this and this and that. And one time I thought I broke my sister's arm, uh, which I did not. Uh, oh, okay. You know, she listened to this. I don't know if she remembers this. Uh, for all the docs out there, I was playing Ring Around the Rosie with my sister. And then uh, I was like, well, instead of holding you by both arms, I'm going to swing you by one arm. And then, as you can imagine, uh, there is a well-known uh, pediatric thing, nursemaid's elbow, where you kind of like pull it out. Mm. So she wasn't using her arm after I was done. 
and she was sitting there crying. So I was like, oh, crap, I broke it. So my mom took her to the ER by herself and then came back and she was like a little splint. Uh, not a splint, they had it like in a sling. And it got better in a couple of days, obviously. It was a nursemaid's. But, you know, there was no like, you must pay, you know, $10,000 before you leave here. They kind of just fixed her up and let her go. Uh, so that was cool. So after saying that forever, uh, I went to college at Carleton College. It's in Northfield, Minnesota. If anyone wants to go there, it's a great place, great college. Uh, spent four amazing years there. Kept saying I'm to be a doctor. Then the senior year comes. I went to one SNMA conference before then, and I realized, oh, crap, mm-hmm. I can do this. There are people like me who do this. I, I don't need a 4.0 GPA. I don't need to have cured cancer in college to go. So uh, I graduated, took the year off, studied for the MCAT, uh, took that actually in like two or three months after the MCAT. And then Howard hit me up, uh, Valentine's Day weekend, never forget it. And then uh, went to Howard. You still have the uh, acceptance letter somewhere? No, it's, it's, all, it's all in the memory. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I let it. Man, I'm, I'm so jealous <laughs> of people that got that acceptance letter. They pull it out for I, social I don't media. Know. Yeah, like, I, to, this is real talk. I don't even think I, I mean, I obviously had to get one, but the Miss Walk phone call was far more mm, memorable. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember getting that phone yeah. call. I was like, hello? I'm like, hi, is this love not? It's like, yeah. You know, kind of like, what you want? I ain't got money. Uh, this is Miss Walk calling from Howard University. I was like, what? Like, you know, you kind of sit up. Uh, and, yeah. you know, until someone says you're in. And the funny part, she had such just a casual conversation with me. And I'm like, I need you to sit like, back in my head. Tell me what's good, woman. Like, am I in? Am I waitlisted? <laughs> like, why? Just talking. It was like a solid, like, three or four minutes before she said, oh, you're in. I was like, oh, God, thank you. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Never forget those uh, moments. So I got to ask. Carleton College in Minnesota. How did you end up in Minnesota? Ah, excellent question. Uh, so your boy Love was sitting uh, during his sophomore year in homeroom. And uh, at my high school, they had these little flyers that would go around, like bulletins. You're from mm-hmm. Texas. You're from Texas, in right? Texas. Uh, A-Leaf High School, for anyone from Texas listening. They had these uh, flyers going around, like these announcement pages, as, you can, as you'd call them, whatever. And so I was in homeroom going through them, uh, and they have opportunities. And then they separated by class, and one was sophomore. It was for the summer, and it was a, a, a week at Carleton College called the Carleton Liberal Arts Experience. Clay, fifty African Americans from around the country would go to the college for free. So, high school boy myself saying I'm gonna go with twenty four other dudes, twenty five girls to a college away from mom, somewhere else on someone else's dollar, completely all expenses paid, sign me up. So I went and did the program, met some amazing people, life-changing. Like One guy at the time was like the Georgia State chess champion or whatever. Um, two, like, like three or four dudes from Houston. So it was all crazy. You meet all of them. Again, you were influenced once again. And then you leave the college and the college keeps up with you, right? Sending you, don't forget to apply. How are you doing? You know, if you're a junior, you should be taking the SAT and stuff like that. And they were sending all these reminders. And I told myself, all right, love, this college paid probably thousands of dollars to, you know, fly you out in room and board in, in high school. The least you can do is apply. So I applied to the college, yeah. got in. I was like, oh, bet. Uh, at the time, top four liberal arts college in the country. And right now we're top 10. I think we're eight, seven or eight right now. So I was like, oh, crap, I got in. Um and then I was like, ah, but Minnesota's too far. 
and then they sent the scholarship package. And I'll never forget, mm-hmm. it was down to Carlton and down to Baylor. And it beat Baylor by $2,000, like $2,000. And I was like, all right, but when you factor in flights, what's going to happen? Factor in flights, and it still was cheaper by like 500 bucks or something like that. And so at the time, I was like, you know, it wasn't my money. It was mama's money. And so I was like, if I can save yeah. mama $500 and go to school in the snow, I'm going to save mama $500. So that's what I did. Wow. The rest is history. The rest is history. I have uh, Carlton gave me a lot over four years. I've given Carlton a lot. Uh, at the current moment, I currently sit as one of the trustees on the board of trustees for Carlton College. And it's a constant quarterly reminder that it was one of the best decisions I want to say God ever made because I had never heard of Carlton College before then, like ever. <laughs> you know, like most of the times you only hear of universities, especially Houston's a big city. But it's, you know, the University of Houston, Texas Southern University, Baylor University, Texas University. I wasn't looking at four year colleges before that liberal arts experience moment. And to go there and to be challenged mentally was amazing. And then everybody was keeping up. Like the people they surrounded me with were keeping up. Because, you know, in high school, um, sometimes you can be more advanced than other folks or sometimes you can be below other folks. And it, everyone was perfect there. It was just, it was a great experience. But you went from Carleton College in Minnesota to Chocolate <sighs> City, D.C., the Howard University, and clearly everything you learned in college, um, you know, worked out because you thrived in medical school. You were active in uh, the student governing body as well as the Student National Medical Association. Can you talk about, you know, one or two of the highlights of your time at Howard? Mm, so, yeah, coming from a majority white college, I think it's 80 percent white when I was there at the time to a place that was 80 percent African-American was definitely a switch. Uh, but the one thing I learned at Carleton that I took into Howard was how to be social. Because when there's only 20 black people max on the campus at one time, you know, you're really good at memorizing all those names. When you throw parties, you know who to talk to. And you have to have your own fun. So coming to Howard, I was like, all right, I'm quiet at first. But then I was like, oh, I can do the same thing here. And that uh, extrovertedness took me on. Uh, so if I had to pick some of the highlights, whew, all right, not getting nobody in trouble. Social highlight of my entire Carlton experience, or I'm sorry, Howard experience. There's two things that come to mind. One was an event that happened once and never happened again was a celebrity face-off. All right. So before Versus, there was a face-off. I have a CD right over there, a DVD. The class of 2011 did it as one of their fundraisers was a face-off. And people had to pretend to be celebrities and then would face-off. And then the crowd, whoever screamed the loudest, would win. And so I was Usher and Marcus was Chris Brown. (laughs) And so it was Usher versus Chris. You know, everyone wants the verses, right? Before the verses ever happens, I, it happened to Howard. <laughs> and in 2008, I guess at the time, and uh, it was ironic because I was, I guess, secretly dating my now wife then. Uh, mm. I don't know if it was a secret, but it wasn't like everybody knew. And so she ended up being part of the performance for one of the Usher songs. And there was this moment where, like, I scooped back but she like has to grab my leg and pull me back. All I remember is that the crowd just went wild. So that's obviously up there. 
And then number okay. two lived in infamy, though, and it's still talked about at least until the last two or three years. Uh, it was one of the date auction performances. I performed with uh, <laughs> two of my colleagues. I won't put their name out there. I'll let them come on the podcast and tell it from their side. But let's just say one had to twirl a cane very well, and the other one had to be really tall. Uh, and uh, we had a great performance there. It's on YouTube somewhere. I'm not dropping the link. Uh, but like classes after us would show first years that video. I'm like, y'all try to do this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how nice. Uh, it, it lived on. So. Did, did that performance involve cupcakes? It involved cupcakes. It did. Oh, man. Say no more. Say no more. This is a family <laughs> show. People wondering what's going on at Howard University College of Medicine. We learned a lot of other stuff, too. So uh, Those are top two social moments. Uh, I would say top, like, political moment, because Facebook constantly reminds me of this. The unfortunate murder of Trayvon Martin happened when I was at Howard. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. along with Brandon Walker and all the other class presidents, you know, we took a, I don't know, this, you know one of the best social stands you can social media. We all yeah. put on hoodies and we all went in front yeah. of that Howard sign and took that picture, you know. And then on the bottom, we flipped to our white coats. No, the top was white coats and the bottom was hoodies. And like, do we look suspicious now with right. the caption? That picture went everywhere. And every year, Facebook will remind me like, do you want to repost this picture? Do you want to reshow this memory? Um, and it's kind of one of those reminders that like you have some power when you think you have none. So that was definitely top, you know, political moments. And then top spiritual moments. I think after I passed step one, after I didn't pass step one. So I had to take step one twice. Ooh, and the prayers and the fasting that went into taking it that second time was crazy. So I thought like my career was over because that's what med school makes you think. And to still come out on the other side, that was a big one. Oh, man. All those some fantastic memories. I was in that mm -hmm. picture um, with the hoodie. Uh, for those that don't know, so Howard University, we have uh, fantastic social social events. Part of those being data auctions. We have all kinds of functions. So a lot of, a lot of really good uh, memories there. But it's interesting you mentioned, um, you know, struggling with step one. So many of us have problems with standardized exams. But at that time, you were also heading into an extremely competitive specialty of emergency medicine. So talk about how you navigated that momentary setback to ultimately matching into this incredibly selective specialty. So it should be said to every pre-med, every med, shoot, I don't care if you're in attending right now. You need to have a mentor in your corner who knows the ropes and has walked the path before you walk the path. So as you said, I was part of SNMA. Student National Medical Association uh, started off just as, you know, pre-med side. Then it was, you know, our local parliamentarian. And then I actually got thrust into the national parliamentarian role. Uh, and so when I was sitting on the board, I was sitting on the board with this name has been sending on podcasts so often, like, obviously, this dude's big, Dr. Alden Landry. Uh, so mm -hmm. I was on the board with Alden Landry. He's like, you want to do EM? It's like, hi, Ben, we're going to do EM. We're, we're going to get you there. This is pre-step one. So I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm studying for it. He's like, let me know what happens. So, and it wasn't lip service, right? So, you know, I hit him up afterwards. Man, I didn't pass. Like, you're not the first one. You're not going to be the last one. You know, what's the game plan? What happened? You know, did you, you know, critically study? Have you critically evaluated it? All right, take it again, pass, little link up. Took it again, passed, hit him up again. All right, you're, and he, you know, foreshadowed everything. 
you're going to start having trouble getting away rotations, but you need that slow, that standardized letter of recommendation. You need a good one that can trump your score. Where do you have, you know, where are you applying to? I was like, you know, anywhere that'll take me. All right. Uh, we got VSAS at Harvard. Make sure you apply. You know, I'm in charge of it. Uh, you know, if your application looks good, I can put it in front of the right people. We can make some decisions, right? Sure. And away rotation at Harvard. I'll take that any day and twice on Sunday. So <laughs> I applied there. Uh, I did my at home rotation at Howard. But when I went to Harvard, my goal was people are more than numbers. Every single day, walking, getting up, going to that. That was my goal. I fulfilled that. I got good letters recommendations. He hooked me up with a couple of people to talk to again, even they were a little scared about the score. But then we came with a game plan, you know, apply wide and get you in front of somebody. You know, if you can get any program to look past the score, they're going to see the student council president, class president, national parliamentarian, national speaker of the house guy that we all love. So, you know, apply wide. So he basically laid the breadcrumbs. I followed the trail and couples match too, which was whew, an added layer of greatness. Yeah. But I actually think it helped me. You know, if some program, I, I low key, I hear the program directors can talk sometimes when they're interested uh, and they can be like, hey, you know, I hear our, the person we really want. They're a couple matching with this person that's applied to your program. What are y'all thinking? And if two program directors, you know, get that OK, it might boost you up a, a bit or two because you're locked into that program. Uh, so we end up in Michigan. It doesn't hurt that uh, Dr. Uh, Utena Anani, who is also featured in an episode mm-hmm. of the show, is uh, a yeah, genius. Beast. So. beast. I, I am obviously the tall one in our relationship, and that's just about it. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, I mean, I never forget. Like, you know, you, you get the, the email notifications when you're going, when you get notified that you got an interview. Her phone stayed buzzing. I think I was getting mm. like one every two or three weeks. In you know, God bless her soul. In order to make sure we kept our possibilities high. She was taking on all these random interviews uh, oh, just man. to make sure like any big city I applied to, she would go and do one or two interviews in that city just to lock it down. You know, and when, people, when people say ride or die, that's it right there. <laughs> yeah. That's mm-hmm. love. That's love. Um, so Dr. Donnie, we got to talk, you mentioned uh, Dr. Landry and I believe you guys work together on the tour for diversity as well, which I think is so key to helping other uh, black students be successful. Can you explain that organization? Yes, uh, the tour for diversity medicine was created by Dr. Alden Landry and Dr. Uh, Cameron Matthews, who are both again in SNMA. That's where all the great ideas happen. Uh, they were in there at the same time <laughs> and they had this idea, which I think 90% of people who go to SNMA conference have said this, and they actually went through. Wouldn't it be cool if we can take this conference back to our school or back to the other people? And, you know, they had this yeah. idea of look at all these beautiful souls that are here at this conference. But think about who couldn't make it right. Who couldn't cut the checks to make it? Who couldn't afford it? Who couldn't fly so far? And they were like, what if we can put the conference on wheels and go and inspire and mentor people? And they kept talking about it and talking about it, got the funding, got the backing. 2012 launched the Tour for Diversity uh, in Medicine, which, even though it sounds like just like medicine, they cover multiple specialties, multiple backgrounds. MDs, DOs, pharmacy. We got podiatry on the bus now. Dentists are on the bus. Um, and we're still expanding. Basically, what on the bus means is they literally got a tour bus. 
instead of wrapping it with the face of our artist, they wrapped it with their logo in the cities we were going to, and we drove. It still mm-hmm. pains me to say this, but you know, it's true. The first stop ever was Hampton University, and we went back again. We had mm-hmm. some great, mm-hmm. no, it was undergrad though. So I'm mean, undergrad. We had some great recruits that ended up becoming doctors. I am happy to have converted some of them from Hampton undergrad to Howard Medical School doctors. <laughs> but, you know, we drove from there and then uh, ended up, what was the end of that tour? I think we ended in Alabama or somewhere. Like, so five days on a bus. Oh, yeah, we're driving, driving. driving. Like, we, we would tour, we would stop at a site, talk to the students, get on the bus. And I don't, you know, this is one of the behind the scenes things we tell people. We didn't just get on the bus and go to sleep. Like every stop had to be the best stop ever. So we would talk about what happened the day before. So like we left Hampton and was like, all right, how'd it go? How was logging in? How was signing people in? Was that, how was registration? That was good. All right. How was the first thing? Everyone liked it. Was the lighting good? Was the volume good? You know, and we would change it on the fly. Hey, you know what? We've seen this a hundred times, but actually on slide five, there should be a comma after the word, you know, before. All right, someone's literally sitting there right there and doing all of those things. And, you know, we become a family. We've gone to multiple stops, obviously, COVID, no bus. So we switch it up. We've done virtual tours. And virtual tours mm. have helped us extend to even more people. We've lost the physical in person, and we're definitely getting back on the bus. I think we personally touch more people in, in person, but numbers wise, we touch more people virtually without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and some big organizations have taken a look at us, big universities. We partnered with Temple um, and we have some other things in the works. And it's just been a great organization. You know, I'm sorry to use a podcast for this, but, you know, at Tour for Diversity on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, we're there. Hit us up. Yeah, well, that, that is the exact uh, purpose of this podcast. And you guys are going coming up on 10 years. Yes, right? yes, we are. And that's why we want to get back on the bus. Uh, you know, it, it's important. Mm. Uh, we did on the five year uh, anniversary, we revisited some of our first stops because that was important to us too. Um, this isn't just a fun thing. Like there is science and research into this. Some of our mentors, Dr. Trevino, uh, MD, PhD has taken this work, poster presentations applied to, uh, AAP pediatrics. And, you know, we've taken this and we're trying to make a model on how to really diversify medicine. Um, so when we went back to some of those sites, we went to our first round. We wanted to see, is this place better than when we left it? And, you know, they were better, mm-hmm. but like anything, it's better for like a cycle, right? But if that pre-med director that you worked with on that first tour is now gone and the next one comes in, do they do they pass on those tools and things like that? So we know we need to be a continual process. And this is something that's going to hopefully live on for a very long time. And I'm, and I'm sure you've had this experience because even... It blows my mind every time that somebody that I have mentored or worked with, or maybe somebody you've met on this tour for diversity, you meet them again later and they are in medical school or, or finishing residency. Has that happened oh, to yeah. you? Uh, like I said, uh, we had our one Howard uh, convert, uh, our Hampton to Howard convert. Uh, it's so great seeing her <laughs> now working PM&R, trying to you know, go into a fellowship and being attending. That's like, you know, it's like I mock interviewed you. You know what I'm saying? Like I was... I was mm-hmm. there and when, I remember seeing people's eyes like get me into medical school and it's like, you know, we don't have that much power, but again, you lay the breadcrumbs. They do most of the work, but they'll hit you up. They'll follow through. Um, we have on our tour, a few mentors who were like, Hey, I was at this site. You guys were great. Can I sign on? That's wow. very amazing. And even right now I'm working with students who I saw on the tour 
read the personal statement, helped them apply to medical school. They're in medical school. Now I'm reading their ERAS personal statements, uh, applying the residency. And it's just a full, you know, front to back page. And seeing that aspect of the life is great. And obviously at some point, you know, the relationships may crumble, but knowing that you were there, knowing that the organization was there, it's, it's life changing. It's worth it. It's all for free. I don't get paid a red cent, red penny to be on tour for diversity mentor. And I'm going to keep doing it for free. That's dope. That's dope. Well, we appreciate uh, what you're, you and the rest of the folks, Dr. Landry, everybody with a tour for diversity that you guys are out there doing. Definitely check out their socials, donate uh, if you can. I'm sure every little bit oh, yeah, it helps. Uh, helps. I mean, I, like I said, I'll do it for free, but if someone wants to sponsor the bus, we need that. We need to sponsor <laughs> these hotels, sponsor these flights. Yes, it's expensive. It's expensive. You know, I think the biggest, the funniest joke I heard Alden uh, or Dr. Landry and Dr. Matthew say is wrapping a bus is more expensive than you think. You think, you know, you kind of just put some plastic on the side of it or something? Nah, that joint mm-hmm. costs money. So, yeah. Oof, I can only imagine. So, Dr. Anani, you matched in emergency medicine, you finished fellowship, you were out there working in private practice. Obviously, there's academics, there's private, there's a mixture of the two. Talk about the field as a whole, because there's a lot of, you know, concerns. Uh, Emergency medicine was very competitive. Now there's no jobs. Is there something in the middle? What's what's the the pulse of uh, the job market and and the specialty? Yeah, so the the pulse of the specialty is, you know, it was extremely strong, like you said, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It was, you know, it was competitive. It was a lifestyle. It was, you know, work 12 times a month and, you know, make six figures easy. You know, I'm not saying anything you can't Google. This is not me taunting or anything. But uh, the average EM doc, I think, per Google is like $300,000 a year or something like that for working, you know, 10 to 12 times a month. So it seemed cake on paper. So mm-hmm. therefore, it became very, you know, hard to get into. Um, now the state of it, and I'm a medical director for my site, so I know this firsthand, a medical pandemic made ER visits go down. So, the, mm. uh, you know, the annoying thing about medicine, it's the dirty little secret, guys. Patients are the money factor, right? Like, same thing with the NBA game, right? The NBA and WNBA both play basketball. Way more people go to the NBA game. Their contracts are way bigger. It's just the numbers. Yeah. Plug though, WNBA is dope. Uh, shout outs to the Chicago Sky for winning this year. You know, Candace bringing it back to the city. I'm not a Sky fan, but I just like the <laughs> I like the story behind it. Anyways, uh, with EM, our average visits went down twenty to forty percent on some sites. Wow. What happened was people weren't going out as much. Therefore, drunken accidents down, traumas down. People weren't doing crazy things down. Um, and then because we were which, Which is, is good. good. You know, I'm not trying to get people hurt, but you know, the truth. And because we were actually wearing masks heavy at the beginning of the pandemic and not touching each other very much heavy at the beginning of the pandemic, all viruses were down. I jokingly tell everybody for the year 2020, I never diagnosed the flu. And I worked 13 times a month, 12, 13 times a month. I had zero flu in 2020. Now, obviously, 2021, the flu is back with the vengeance because people's masks are off all around. But it just goes to show now people. I don't want you guys to get me wrong. When I say the volume went down, the acuity shot up. Everybody was trying to die. Uh, our admission rate, I think, was 20 percent for most of the pandemic. So one in five people who stepped into my ER had to be admitted to the hospital. So what happened because the visits went down, 
companies weren't making as much money. How do companies save money? Cut staff or cut pay? Most companies ended up doing both, actually, uh, EM-wise. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can talk to any shops. There were lots of published things. Luckily, at my shop, everyone's pay was cut 10% uh, with the promise of paying it back once visits went up. It was anticipated to come back up um, and it would be restored. Right? Wow. Uh, my company did fulfill their promise. They restored all of our pay. But, uh, you know, the bigger hit wasn't to the docks because we're single coverage at my site. So you can only work one at a time. You can't really fire a dock. The tough part was our uh, NPs and PAs. So at my site, we had a furlough one. And even then, their pay and hours were cut. So you're making 10% less and mm. you're working 10% or 20% less. Um, but we came together. You know, we're humans. I understand that's a tough time. So at our site, we actually had the docks chipping money into a pool that was kind of like distributed to the PAs and MPs to help float along their expenses for at least three to four months until our volumes came back up. But what this did to the industry as a whole was, all right, we're not going to fire as many docks, but we're definitely not going to hire as many docks. So people who are doing locums, okay. we don't need you to travel no more. Uh, people who are PRN, we don't need PRN docs no more. Our full-timers need more money. So actually what, what happens with full-timers who only work 10 shifts a month, we're like, well, you cut my pay by 10%, so I'm going to add on one shift to make it up. So then we need less PRNs. Huh. So what happened as a whole was the need for docs went down. Now, uh, some sites would also cut docs and just staff them with PAs and MPs and like, look, we don't need all of your expertise. Yes, the acuity has gone up, but these three docs can handle it. Um, we're just going to staff, you know, a PA or MP here. So a study was done to kind of project where the job market is going to be five or 10 years from now. And that was widely published in the EM circles. And it basically said, we're putting out too many EM docs. If you add up all the residency docs that graduate, and add up our anticipated jobs in the future, we're going to have too many. And you know, they gave some, like any good a uh, academic paper, they gave some possible ways to fix it. No new, no new right. residencies, decreased residencies, increase the three-year programs to four-year programs, boo, boo. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, all you need is kick the can down the road, in my opinion, if you do that one. And then, of course, you know, the controversial one was, you know, don't train as many PA or NPs or don't hire as many or you know, stand up and block their jobs. But I, I, I don't think they're not coming for my job as much as people were anticipating. You know, I don't, I don't want to make them into boogeymen in my opinion. Uh, I do think I'm not a fan of some sites cutting one doc and putting two PAs and NPs in like their fast track. Um, but you know, uh, I know they're not going to replace all of us. So anyways, long story short, that got published medical school, medical students got their hands on it and they thought there'd be no jobs. But as you can imagine, this is all data or some of the data is from the pandemic, right? right? So as we can all see, we're in 2021. COVID ain't gone nowhere. We on Omicron now. I, I am not Greek or Greek affiliated, but we all bought some of this alphabet very quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, and at this point, we're going to be at Zeta at some point. And we're going to be back to normal. So it's my anticipation, just like the stock market, this is a dip and we'll have a bounce back. But until we bounce fully back, there are probably not going to be as many jobs. I don't think we're going to be cut in half or anything else like that. 
if you truly love EM, I tell uh, every person I mentor, apply to it. If you were applying to EM because it was going to be your favorite lifestyle, yeah, you know, you can look for something else if you want to. But if EM was your passion, uh, seeing patients in critical situations, uh, not having, I want to say not having long-term relationships, but there are some patients I see at least four or five times a mm-hmm. month. Uh, <laughs> but in, in my case, I will say this. If you want to be the primary care before the primary care, you know, if that was what your goal was, then, you know, EM is still available. Okay. So answer me this. Fellowship or no? For those docs that are coming out of uh, residency, well, should, should they do fellowship? Should they not? Will that help them, hurt them? When I was applying uh, to, when I was applying for attending jobs, the joke was fellowship was a $250,000 mistake because, you know, hmm. it, EM, unlike other specialties, most of our fellowships, in my opinion, don't add vast amount of knowledge. You know, it'll, it'll help sharpen some areas and it'll make you really focus at everything, at some things. Now in today's job market, it's a little more helpful than it was before because now you can go to a site and be like, look, I can be your ultrasound dude. I'm not just a regular EM doc. So I'll say this, it doesn't hurt as much as it used to back in the day. I still don't think it's mandatory. Like my site, a rural site, you know, 30 minutes from Nashville, I, I don't need any fellowship trained docs whatsoever. I need someone to come in here and work. Now, if you did fellowship and you did an administration, maybe I can make you my like, you know, assistant medical director or something like that. But I mean, if you just rattle off most of the big EM fellowships, ultrasound, admin, tox, uh, you know, environment. Y'all got an admin fellowship? Yeah. One of our... Uh, one of, Dr. Keto Lord did uh, admin fellowship. Yeah, y'all, y'all love making up. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's, so the reason why EM docs need admin fellowship, and that's if all the fellowships are cape for that one, we oftentimes get thrown into a lot of admin roles, right? Because we're the doc that will randomly have 12 o'clock on a Tuesday off, right? You know, like people who are in clinic, like I can't yeah. do it. So what happens for a lot of hospital uh, medical staff meetings it's like, oh, the EM doc, put them on this committee, put them on that committee. And we end up taking a lot of roles and not realizing what the heck we're doing. Uh, and then they'll have us wanting to speak for every specialty because we interact with every specialty. So we oftentimes get these, you know, administrative roles. So a lot of people didn't know what they were doing, especially if you weren't chief. You don't make schedules or anything like that. So it can be good. Um, I would say that the big sexy right now, I think, is probably still between ultrasound and tox. We have an EMS fellowship. That's cool. If you want to be the EMS mm-hmm. director, that's another good one, right? Um, but you can be an EMS director without fellowship, like me. So I'm just <laughs> do it if you want to. You just say it. Do it if you want to. Uh, we're getting short on time, but I got to ask mm-hmm. you this: you, you started out as an emergency medicine physician, and then you've achieved additional roles. I think you said you're the medical director mm-hmm. with more responsibility. Can you describe your ascent from just a pit doctor to yeah? where you are now. So uh, you can always get some level of fellowship when you're in residency for EM at least if you focus on it. So my admin fellowship was just a chief year. So I was a chief as uh, a resident my final year. And so when I was applying to jobs, the site I was at, the medical director at the time, a good friend of mine, uh, she was really nice. And she was like, hey, you know, you're a chief. We're getting bigger in this hospital. I can use someone to go to a couple of meetings for me. 
or at least help me with the PAMPs. Like I'm, you know, wrangling the docs, going to these admin meetings. You know, you can work with the PAMPs and, I, you know, call you system alpha director. I was like, all right, cool. So I did that. Hmm. Uh, very small things, making schedules, stuff I was already doing as chief resident. Uh, conflict management, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then when she decided to step down and leave, right, the group at the time was just like, hey, look, you're assistant. Everyone kind of likes you already. Uh you know, you're the best person for the job in-house. We don't want to go look for someone else. Do you want to be medical director? And I was like, sure. Sounds good. Uh, did it come with extra uh, medical director I mean, it did. But not as much as people think, right? Like, some people think it's like, oh, like 10% of your salary or something. Like, nah. It, it's a good... It pays, it pays well. But for the EM role, it's still per hour, right? So they kind of say, like, how many hours do you think you're going to be doing stuff? Uh, okay. But you know, you go to like seven meetings a month, have to do schedules. You got to be a phone call away for every single problem. So it's an acceptable stipend. It's good. Uh, I will not lie. It's good. It, it makes it for me having no actual work, actual shifts. And then I like the admin things. Uh, gotcha. So then I did that. And then I'm still doing that. You know, I people still like me. I'm still in the role. And then uh, the medical director for the EMS, the local EMS got caught up in some stuff they should not have been doing. Um, and I can say that because it was, you know, it's public knowledge. So therefore I'm not making up anything. And then uh, they were like, hey, you're the EM director for the hospital that's in our county. Um, usually they kind of go hand in hand and we've liked what you've done. and We've interacted with you. Do you want to be our medical director? And I was like, okay, you know, not EMS trained. I know, know about EMS, you know, it's taught in residency. Uh, and I started off just interim, like, hey, I'll help you guys out. I thought they were like a big national search. But again, it came back, you're probably the best guy for the job locally or at least citywide that we like. We don't want to, you know, bring someone in who's going to change too much. And so they kept me on. So now I got both roles. That stipend's way lower. <laughs> but it's a, it, oh, no. it's a county stipend, right? Like, so, you know, you're you're working for the county and it's not a very big county so i don't expect to get you know new york e of medical director money I, my ems system is not that big but it is uh pretty incredible the amount of impact that you can have with these positions oh yeah i mean because then it goes from all right you think you're just a name on a piece of paper to i'll never forget the first time the local school system hit me up and they're like hey uh we were talking to the ems guys in the hospital and you're the medical director right and i was like yeah do you want to come give a talk to our local teachers on sudden cardiac death? And I was like, oh, I mean, that happens like 1% of all athletes or something even smaller than that. It probably never happened here, but it's good to know. And I get to be the guy to impact them because when you look into sudden cardiac death of athletes, who's at the top of the list? African-American males. So, you know, I'm giving mm -hmm. the talk from a medical standpoint, but you know, I had to slip that in there. Like, yeah. you know, this is, you know, this is what's, going to happen. This is the people you need to look out for. So that's great. Um, I've talked at nursing homes, educating them on sepsis, because that's the word that they, you know, they all hear. Um, so I get to talk about that. Uh, I've been invited to do one of the breast cancer talks, but it's always on a day I'm working. Um, so I never get to do that one. But, you know, uh, I've gone to several local talks, uh, community talks. It's very fun. I was even in the community, a uh, a community dance or I guess talent show and we won. So that was another Did you do the stanky leg? No, uh, I did do, uh, I didn't have to floss though. Um, flossing was the big move at the time. 
So I did have to floss. Uh, it was very interactive with nursing. I felt bad because it'd be like a seven, like a 12 year old and she was dancing really hard. But, you know, hey. <laughs> Throw back to the, the Howard yeah, exactly. days. Yeah. You know, hold this L, 12 year old. The hospital needs his W. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Nani, I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, I love how hearing from you about your career, it shows that you don't have to go work in an ivory palace academic center to have an impact because you're doing just that and having an incredible impact in private practice. As we wrap up, what would you say to medical students today that are considering going into emergency medicine? Mm. For anyone considering going into emergency medicine, it's obviously the best specialty of all. Uh, <laughs> just keep grinding. There's there's no impossible programs. Uh, and if you don't believe me, uh, go to the ERAS website yourself. Click on per specialty and they can show you the breakdown of step scores that got matched into that specialty and every year there's someone who passed by one point and there's someone who killed it and most people obviously fall in the middle right so if you want the best possible way of getting in obviously you know kill your step one kill your rotations and you'll be fine but if you have some hiccups but you love the specialty you can still make it in uh keep aiming you know keep aiming high and you'll get there. And if you fall into another specialty, there's a lot of back doors into emergency medicine. Uh, I I was considering pediatrics. My wife did pediatrics. I love PEDS rotation. There's PEDSM. Uh, there's family docs who get EM fellowship afterwards. They work at my site too. So there's other ways into specialties. So if you love a specialty, find your way in. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Levanani, can't thank you enough for joining us on the show to talk about emergency medicine because representation matters. Thank you, Dr. Bradley. I appreciate it. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. If you enjoy listening, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters.